Chapter 9 of the Submarine Boys Lightning Cruise. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Doug Fajardo. The Submarine Boys Lightning Cruise by Victor G. Durham. Chapter 9. But something happened next. Oh, you... <clears throat> Jack shot out hoarsely as he felt himself borne under by crushing weight. Go easy, messmate. You'll sleep more peaceful tonight, chuckled one of the sailors, holding a big hand over the submarine boy's mouth, while another unseen assailant pinned Jack's hands at the wrists. Flare! A sudden glow of light illuminated the dark hallway. Then, more light. Jersey by, howled one of the sailor pair, leaping to his feet. Instantly, there was consternation among all the assailants. In the excitement, young Benson was forgotten. Freed from assault, he leaped to his feet. The flare of the light had come from two bullseye police lanterns held in the doorway below. "'There are the scoundrels, men! Grab them!' shouted a voice of authority. The speaker and two other men were in police uniforms. There were four other men in ordinary civilian garb. In the excitement, Jack Benson let his fist fly, knocking one of the sailors headlong down the stairs. But the submarine boy did not pause there. His other fist landed on the second sailor, sending him after the first. Club their heads off if any of them put up a fight, commanded the police officer in charge. Two other men, not in sailor's uniform, cowered on the stairs close to the young submarine captain. There was no fight beyond the blows that young Benson struck. Cowed by the unexpected appearance of the law's force, the quartet of rascals surrendered. There was a clicking of handcuffs. <laughs> your chief thought I was crazy or telling him fairy stories over the telephone, laughed Jack Benson. Now, I guess, I am the chief of police, retorted the officer in authority. I thought that if anything such as you described were happening in Colfax, then I'd better come along myself to investigate. But now perhaps you can explain more than you did over the phone from the Somerset House. I have the best of reasons, Jack replied, for imagining that two of my friends have disappeared by the same trick that was tried on me. If that's so, I'm mighty anxious to find them as soon as possible. Do any of you scoundrels know where this young gentleman's friends are? demanded the chief, turning to glare at his prisoners lined up along the hall in the lower hallway. The man that talks quickly now may get off easier than the rest later on. Uh, there's two boys bound and gagged in the sub-cellar of this place, spoke one of the prisoners not in uniform. Good enough, nodded the chief of police, looking at the informant. Officer Davis, you come with me. You may come too, Mr. Benson. The rest of you wait where you are. The door to the cellar was locked, 
but the police chief, with a skeleton key, soon had the lock forced. Passing down into the cellar, with their way lighted by one of the bull's-eye lanterns, they found a trap opening upon a stairway down into a sub-cellar below. Here they came upon Hal and F., both securely bound and gagged, and lying on piles of old rags. It was not long ere the two submarine boys were free and on their feet, wholly overjoyed. "'Great Scott! How did you ever find us here?' quivered F. Summers. Uh, "'I'll tell you when we get away from here,' smiled Skipper Jack. Up the stairs they went. One of the police party, in the meantime, had gone out to telephone for a covered police van. Into this the four prisoners were hustled and locked securely in. Those of the police party who did not go with the van soon vanished, all save Chief Ward. "'Now, Captain Benson,' muttered the chief of police, "'I want to congratulate you on your clever wit and sound judgment.' I also want to thank you for enabling me to run down a gang like that. I fully understand that in the morning you have to be away on a very important submarine test, and that it would be wholly inconvenient for you to have to appear in court. So I won't expect you. On the testimony that my men and I can give, the judge will continue the case until such time as you can appear. My men and I understand that none of the prisoners are to be allowed to communicate with outside friends tonight or tomorrow morning, so you may be sure that no news of their arrest will leak out. And now, good night, boys. Congratulations again, and thanks. Nor were Jack Benson and his friends long in vanishing either. They did not go back at all by way of the Somerset House. They went down to the waterfront by a different route. Yet they were fortunate enough to find a shore boat that put them on board the Benson. And now, Jack, old fellow, exploded F, as they sat in the snug security of their little cabin, don't you dare think of anything else until you tell us how you brought about a seeming miracle. Oh, that was easy, laughed Jack Benson gleefully. In the first place, it was mighty queer, F, that we left you on that corner, and you vanished. Then we left Hal on the same corner, and the earth swallowed him up. Then two fake sailors stopped me at that very same corner. Uh, uh, but how did you know they were fake sailors? broke in Hal. I never suspected their genuineness. Well, see here, glowed Jack. A United States man of war has respect for an officer's uniform drilled into him 24 hours in the day. We're not officers of the Navy, but we wear a uniform that is very much like the uniform of a naval officer, all but the insignia of rank. What's the consequence? Every sailor we meet sees the uniform and says sir to us by sheer force of habit. Why, you both know that a good many sailors who pass us give us a regular salute. Yet these two fake sailors hailed me as messmate, and were as familiar in every other way as they knew how to be. Gracious, when they spoke to me, I never thought of that little point, confessed Hal. So I told the pretend sailors, 
continued Captain Jack, that I'd run down to the hotel and that I'd be right back. Did you tell anybody where you were going? demanded Eph. No one was there that I knew. Instead, I slipped into the telephone room at the side of the lobby and called up the chief of police. I happened to get the chief himself on the wire. He thought I was a drunken sailor or else I was out of my head but he finally agreed to have some detectives on hand to see the sailors take me away in tow. Then, pursued F, why, then I waited long enough to give the detectives a chance to reach the scene. Then I went back and walked into the trap with the fake sailors. It was a story that was hugely enjoyed by the young submarine captain's comrades. But who would put such a queer job on us? demanded Hal. It must be someone who didn't want us to man a Pollard boat in tomorrow's speed test, of course, nodded Jack. It seems like a mean thing to say, and we ought to be sure, but I believe Rhines and Radwin are the offenders. The more the submarine boys talked it over, the more they were inclined to fall in line with the guess that Rhines and Radwin had been behind their troubles. "'Someone has got to suffer for this business before we get through,' cried Captain Jack, his eyes flashing ominously. "'But come now, fellows. We must go to bed, for we must have enough sleep if we're going to be good and fit in tomorrow's race.' It was rather late that evening, when Messrs. Farnham and Pollard, still with John C. Rhines, returned to the Somerset House. "'I don't see our youngsters about anywhere,' muttered Jacob Farnham. "'But their room keys are gone from the clerk's rack, "'so I guess they've turned in, like sensible fellows. "'They did not know that Radwin himself had secretly removed the keys "'in order to create the impression that the boys were in bed. "'Rhines and Radwin talked in whispers behind the locked door of another room. "'They chuckled a long while.' then shook hands and went to bed. The boys, however, as we know, were safely aboard the submarine. Mr. Farnham had left a call for eight o'clock in the morning. It was about twenty minutes later that Farnham and Pollard knocked loudly on the door of the room occupied by Rhines. Well, demanded Mr. Rhines, opening the door and appearing minus coat and vest. Ah, good morning, gentlemen. "'Going down to breakfast? I'll be ready in a few moments.' "'Breakfast? Nothing,' retorted Jacob Farnham sharply. "'Our young men are missing. "'We went to their rooms this morning and could get no answer. "'We had their doors opened with pass keys. "'Our three young submarine officers haven't been in their beds all night long.' J.C. Rhines allowed his face to express more surprise then concern over this news. Oh, well, he remarked, boys will be boys, you know, especially when they're sailors. Our boys are not that sort, retorted Mr. Farnham sharply. They are not hoodlums or racketeers. Then, of course, you'll find them safe on one of your boats, proposed Mr. Rhines innocently. Just two minutes, and I'll go down to breakfast with you. Radwin, too, joined them, 
He also expressed surprise, artfully. All four went down to the breakfast room together. Messrs. Farnham and Pollard ate well enough, though they seemed badly worried. "'There's just one thing about it, of course,' sighed Jacob Farnham, as the party left the table. "'If our youngsters are not on one of our boats, then we've got to lose the speed race today. None of us can handle the boats the way they do.' "'Oh, you'll find the boys all right on one of the boats,' asserted Fred Radwin confidently. The rivals went down to the waterfront together. It was well after nine o'clock when they entered the shore boat. "'We'll go out to your craft first, proposed Mr. Rines. "'You'll feel so much better, gentlemen, when you find your crew all right. "'I'll feel better, too, for I wouldn't want to beat you unfairly today.' Grant Andrews and two of his workmen stood on the platform deck of the Benson, leaning against the conning tower, when the shore boat came within hail. "'I'm afraid to call out to Grant and ask him,' faltered the shipbuilder. "'Then don't do it,' returned Mr. Rines, sympathetically. "'Just wait until we get alongside, and you'll see our young men popping out of the conning tower, rested and as bright as new buttons.' A moment later, the shore boat rounded in alongside. Then, quite suddenly, the three submarine boys projected themselves through the manhole and stood in full view on the platform deck. "'Ah? Uh, eh?' gasped John C. Rines, utterly nonplussed. Fred Radwin's lower jaw seemed to drop several inches. He stared as though he were seeing ghosts, while a sickly, greenish pallor crept into his handsome face. "'By Jove, you are right, Rines,' gasped Jacob Farnham, turning. "'Thank you, old man, for keeping our courage up. "'Good morning, Mr. Farnham. Good morning, Mr. Pollard,' chorused the three submarine boys. Then, favoring Rines and Radwins with a brief glance, "'Good morning, gentlemen.' "'Gentlemen,' repeated F. disgustedly under his breath. I think not. Though Rhines and his agent speedily managed to look pleasant, they hadn't gotten their spirits back when the shore boat pulled away. Farnham and Pollard went hurriedly below, where Jack and his comrades followed. Jack, Jack, thank you a million times, gasped Farnham, seizing the young captain's hand, then giving the other boys the same hearty gripping handshake. Your note that we got this morning gave us the information we needed, and we knew just how to act. And, from the way Rhines and his fellow acted when they caught sight of you boys, added David Pollard, we can form a pretty good idea of who tried to shanghai you three last night. The scoundrels, glowered Farnham in righteous rage. <laughs> now, sir, cried Jack, laughing savagely, why did those fellows try such a trick on us? Because they hoped thereby to beat us in the distant speed race today. Of course, nodded the shipbuilder, still savage. Rhines builds fast submarines. I know that from the reports that I've had. Plainly, the Pollard boats are the only craft he feels much afraid of. 
Oh, he'll be more than afraid tonight, vaunted Jack Benson proudly. More than afraid, sir. When the figures of today's distance speed course are in, John C. Rhines will be frozen cold. If we have to turn on the gasoline and run the engine so hot we blow the whole deck off, confirmed Hal Hastings explosively. If I should be inclined to forget today, growled F. Summers, I have a pain in my head from the crack I received last night that will put me in mind of the whole outrage and keep me strictly on the job of vengeance. Well, I guess you youngsters have the winning fire all right for today, smiled Jacob Farnham grimly. Are you going to enter both boats in today's race? asked Jack more thoughtfully. We can't, replied the shipbuilder. Captain Magowin told me last night that since the Rhines people and ourselves are the only makers who have more than one boat here, today's race will be confined to one craft representative of each make. So which boat do you prefer to take out today, Jack? Well, it doesn't make a bit of difference which one, returned young Captain Benson. Between the Hastings and the Benson, there isn't a hair's breadth to choose. But with either boat, sir, I believe that today we can run any Rhine's boat off the surface of the ocean. It was all very good to have such confidence in their boat. Yet, was it justified? Almost immediately came the first blow. A telegram came on board, addressed to Williamson. The latter's brother was seriously ill at home, and the machinist had to leave at once, going north by the next train. As it happened, the brother speedily recovered. But this incident, for the time, left the Farnham forces the losers of a highest useful man in the engine room. End of chapter 9 But something happened next.